0: Oh, uh, uh, uh.
1: Welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Steven Jodder, and joining me, as always, is Jake Wachoba and Armonka fine And on today's episode, boy, do we have an action-packed show. We're talking about Brian McBride being named U.S. Men's National Team GM. We're talking about Jurgen Klinsmann's and Christian Pulisic's comments. Absurd comments, may I add. And then we got Joseph Lowry, friend of the show, coming on, talking all things... MLS and fellas, listeners, join the conversation at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. We want to hear your thoughts, your comments regarding today's conversation, or anything that was said throughout the week. And, guys, as most of our listeners are doing, NFL playoffs are going on. And one thing it reminds me of is playoffs can be hit or miss. This weekend sucked, everything turns out into a blowout.
2: You like Derrick Henry running all over the uh, Ravens? No, I loved it. It was great. I it mean, the Ravens, Ravens get know, their own medicine out.
1: there, but oh my god. Can we get a competitive game? This is so hard to ask for? Meanwhile, Jake, Jake, what are you doing with TikTok?
3: Jake, having fun, I though. love You're my having fun daddy. My superhero. You, you guys should try having fun sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love my daddy. <laughs> I play, love my play daddy the audio if you want to.
0: <laughs> my superhero.
1: Yeah, what was the inspiration behind that on TikTok?
3: It's a, it, I don't know. I'm not. I, I don't, I don't start the memes. I just create them.
1: Okay.
3: <laughs> I don't start the trends. I just start run with the them. Trends. Yeah. I'm, a, okay. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not. A, I'm a follower, not a leader.
1: All right. Yeah, well, listeners, if you don't know what we're talking about, Jake created a video of himself or about himself. I don't know. Kissing Zlatan I, 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 Ibrahimovic. I green screened.
3: I green screened Zlatan Ibrahimovic behind me. Yeah. And then gave him a smooch right in the cheek, <laughs> mimicking
1: AC Milan fans. And Armand, you know what I love most about that video is the fact that he's wearing a Minnesota United hat. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the whole video is a our, comedy, that's man. Our, that's our favorite MLS team. You know, you know how you have these fanboys. Like, well, my favorite, you know, England team in England is you know Chelsea, but my favorite team in Spain is Real Madrid, and I also like Borussia Dortmund in Germany. And I just love AC Milan uh, in Italy too. So oh,
1: everybody has a favorite team from all around the world. It's a matter. Hey, I got
3: like, I have 365 favorite teams, or however many <laughs> countries there are in the world. Hey, <laughs> hey, but, hey, but listeners, make sure you follow our TikTok at.
1: Well, yeah, what at, is it, Jake? What is our
3: TikTok? Right? It's at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Oh, we might on TikTok. That.
2: Make sure you follow it. It's funny. Make sure you follow it. I love my daddy. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway,
1: let's talk about Brian McBride, who has been announced as U.S. men's national team GM as Ernie Stewart had been promoted to sporting director of U.S. soccer. McBride, guys, 14 years, 30 goals, 95 caps. And Jake, uh, Stewart had some
3: some positive things to say about McBride. He sure did. He was quoted as saying through uh, U.S. Soccer's website, we are thrilled to have Brian McBride assume the role as general manager of the U.S. men's national team. Through his impressive career as a three-time World Cup veteran and at clubs in England, Germany, and the United States, he has earned the respect of his peers around the world. The hard-earned reputation will allow him to forge important relationships both internationally and here at home And his understanding of the game and what it takes to succeed at the highest levels will be invaluable to our player pool and our staff.
1: Yeah, and McBride's role is going to be focusing on development and management of the player pool, build and guide culture within U.S. men's national team environment and manage relationship with clubs and obviously represent the U.S men's national team wherever he goes guys i i'm curious to know do we like the move and listeners at unc sam soccer pod we want to hear it do you like the move
2: can Can i be honest with you steven I, I i don't i don't know i honestly don't know because we don't know much about this gm role right like ernie stewart was in it for a little bit then he got promoted um, do we even know what mcbride's necessary like, vision is i mean we hear he's a good, nice guy. We know he's a U.S. men's national team legend. We know all that stuff, but do we really know much about the role and what Mc or what exactly is the role? I also, have description given to us and what again, like McBride's vision is? I'm not sure. I mean, I guess cool McBride's a, a good guy, but do we know anything else? Like, what what else do we know? I feel like it's a bit of a mysterious role, a mysterious position uh, for. Yeah, you know the U.S. national team and McBride, and I mean, I guess it's good, but I, 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 I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I can't really. I, I might sound like yo, I have to know everything, but like, I, I don't know. I honestly well, just, I'm kind of unclear.
3: Armand, here, let me, let me piggyback off what you say, but I, I might scorch the earth here a little bit with what. Oh no! I'm about to say, I, I, I think you're right. I think we do have to wait and see on this. What I'm curious to know is, I've seen people on Twitter stating that he'll now have the ability to, to make the call on Greg Berhalter's job. But what I question is, does, does he really have that ability? I, st- I still feel that that power resides with Ernie Stewart and, uh, and uh, Jay Berhalter. And one thing I will say is, let's just say this team doesn't qualify for the World Cup in 2022. Is Brian McBride going to be the one who is held responsible or is that blame going to fall on the shoulders of Carlos Cordero or Jay Burhalter or Ernie Stewart? I mean, there's a lot of dysfunction within this federation. To, uh, and it seems to me that we've taken those who were in charge, who may be the roots of the dysfunction and given them now higher positions of power. And, and, and to me, if this national team fails, I hope McBride isn't the one who is scapegoated for the acts of Cordero, Ernie Stewart and Jay and Greg Burhalter
1: yeah, that that's fair, Jake. I I do question what his role is and whether or not it's actually going to have an impact. Now, I think, and this is just me kind of reading into it, listeners. Let me know if if, if it is too much reading into it. But I I do want to play EF's, ESPN FC's Craig Burley, who obviously worked with McBride at ESPN, but commented on McBride and his personality and what he would bring to the front office, or to U.S. soccer as a whole. Here's what he had to say.
4: I ...idea really what the job entails. Mm. But I'm absolutely delighted for one of the nicest men yeah. you will meet in and, and football and broadcasting in general. Mm. It, Brian is the most one of the most sincere people. He'll go into that. And he's nobody's fool. Mm. He's nobody's fool. Don't let that You know, nice guy in his disguise the fact. He'll make hard decisions. He'll do what he thinks right. He's crystal clear in what he wants to do. He mm. will absolutely align people because people will respect him. He, he will talk to people and treat people in a manner in which they expect to be treated. Uh, and I'm absolutely delighted that he's got uh, in with US soccer and hopefully from him, his point of view, it, it works out. It's not going to be easy. There's a, a big job, particularly with the playing personnel. But you've got to keep everybody happy. Yeah. You've got to keep everybody on board. Clubs, players, coaches, and if he can be a conduit to do that uh, and make things better, then fair play to him. Listen, I accept I'm, I might be biased here, but I th- Yeah, guys, I, I, what have we
1: been talking about with U.S. soccer when it comes to player development? Is the fact that they're dis... Not disrespecting, I think that's too strong of a word, but there's a ton of miscommunication. Players feel like they're neglected. The fact that McBride at ESPN is so personable is so easy to work with is a good sign. It is a strength that U.S. soccer is bringing him in because we need to reestablish relationships with American players at a younger age. Don't we talk about this quite a bit, Armand, how players often feel like they're just not part of the plan and then we suddenly get into a dual national fight with some other country... Obviously, this is very much highlighted with Sardinio death between Holland and the United States. But let's bring it more more regional. Mexico and USA, there's going to be an increased amount of young players, very good players, who could represent both nations. What are we going to do to bring them into the U.S.'s camp and make them feel at home, make them feel like they are part of a plan to bring, ultimately, a World Cup title to this nation on the men's side of the game well
2: i mean you say that but uh my my question is why let's say not even for his gm role specifically maybe for something else why aren't there more why is there more of a latino influence being brought in to the national team than for those for you know dual nationals because america look we we the at least the soccer thing we, there is a huge latino influence so why isn't there any on the national team it feels like there is none well like you said mcbride can help you know cultivate those relationships all in all like it'd be pretty cool if you know you know maybe there was a few spanish speakers in there i mean look at us soccer night and using their spanish social media even fans for this even fans for this connected uh from that but i i feel like you know especially when you're talking about you know making them feel part of the program you know having guys that can you know be bilingual and have that latino influence is also important as well i feel like that isn't there. I mean, that's not really specifically McBride's fault or anything like that. But that would be a key first step, right? To have a guy, you know, that does speak Spanish and English, and you know, it, 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 you know, you, you feel it, you feel a little more included than you know, just a, a bunch of a. Uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly the, the, the word for it, but people without you know like a real Latino influence or anything. A bunch of white guys, I think. Yeah, I was gonna say that actually verbatim, but uh, I was trying. to think I mean, of no, way that
3: I agree, Armand. U.S. soccer, to me, I feel like almost should be treated as though it's a, let's say, a Division One basketball team or a Division One football team where you're drawing not only from this pool of, you know, your U.S.-born players who can only play for the U.S., but you also have these group of players who are dual nationals who do have a de- de- decision to be made with, you know, do I want to go play for Mexico or do I want to go play for, you know, Honduras or whatever other Latin uh, Latin American country you can think of. Uh, and, and I think there needs to be a recruiting process that is, that is done with players. I mean, look, what did Serginio dess say about why he, he picked the U S it's, it's because the U S was, was there from the beginning. They, they cultivated him. They're the ones that gave him his chance. The Netherlands overlooked him throughout his youth career while the the U.S. gave him a chance to play, you know, for the U16s, U17s, U18s, whatever it may be. It feels like we – and I shouldn't say it feels like because this is definitely the issue. We're not reaching out to those who who can decide where they want to play, and I feel like those – Those individuals should almost get special treatment, if you will, because you're not going to lose the the U.S. born player, the the player that can only play for the U.S. You can't they can't commit somewhere else. Well, I mean, they can, but it's there's a lot of ropes they have to go, you know, jump over or hoops they have to go through. I I think that, you know, if someone can decide they want to play for Mexico or the U.S., we need to really be laying it on them and saying, hey, we want you here. This is the country you want to play for, you know. We're we're willing to work with you and and help you be the player you want to be, and I feel like right now that's not what's happening with the U.S. Yeah, so this is something rather interesting.
1: McBride now has the power to replace Greg Broughalter if he chooses to do so. Do
2: you think he would? No, <laughs> no, I I think he he would get overruled. Oh, that's oh, what
3: man, I that's I... what I
2: think.
1: I think he. The problem if he is he comes
3: in here and says,
1: but, "Oh, but like to yeah, get rid right. of
2: Greg." Like I don't think like Ernie and Jay are gonna be like, "Yo, like." Well, Jay's his brother. Like, of course, he's not yeah, gonna want to
1: fire his brother. He's be like,
2: "Yo, I don't want Thanksgiving to be awkward, so we can't get rid of him." And then Ernie's gonna be like, "Yo, dude, it's like it, it's been like a year. Like, let's see how this like plays out." Like, I don't, I don't think so. But, to be honest, you.
1: But McBride's coming from the outside. Granted, he's still a U.S. men's national team player, ex-player, blah 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 blah. But he's still coming from the outside. He's looking in. He clearly hears what the fans are saying. So I'm surprised, rather surprised, that uh, he has that much power. I wonder, I wonder if there was a, uh, an agreement when he took on the job saying, hey, don't fire Greg for eight months. I mean, the question is, how bad does Greg have to do in order to get fired, and how much leash does he have? It seems like they've given him a lot of free reign. But then again, what what important matches have we really played?
2: Apart from the Gold Cup final, I guess. The Gold but Cup the,
3: final, right? Where they were clearly not they, – they they weren't even in the same league as Mexico during that Gold Cup I mean, final they either. They ran off the, the, the field. It's unbelievable. Well, Greg Berrelder doesn't think that – what was that game where he – who was the reporter he uh, – just oh yeah, yeah, yeah! tongue yeah. lashed him in that in that press conference because he
1: said. No, you think got it was the play, second played fr- off the field. Wasn't it the second friendly against Mexico where yeah, he, when he, when they,
2: he, they they lost three zero and they were like, "Oh, it's positive, right?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was
1: he was very annoyed. Greg was uh, Berhalter was very annoyed with the media when they're like, "Well, where's the progress, dude?" He's like, "What do, well, do you think, soccer. Grant Wall?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, well, we're up against it, listeners at Onxiam Soccer Pod. We've been getting a couple questions in, so we will answer them at the end of the show so stay tuned for the final 15 minutes we'll take all your questions anyway up next guys let's get delusional
3: guys ready to get weird oh, let's no. get freaky you want to get a little delusional let's get freaky i'm done all right we're gonna talk let's talk a little jurgen klinsman here oh. we for <laughs> some reason me and steven were talking about this earlier this week, and for some reason in this country in the soccer daddy? community of my ours we th- have th- this interest in jurgen klinsman for whatever reason and yeah. i'm not yeah, sure he's he's, uh, he's our daddy guys
0: it, it, i love it, my it, daddy <laughs> My supernova <new.
3: laughs> It's very timely. It, it's it, but isn't it I true? I... I'm
1: sorry, Jake, but isn't it true? Why do we listen to this guy still? He's been removed. He's been sacked. Why do we keep going to Jurgen Klinsmann? Why, if he is so great, the why isn't he running the program? If because we, I, I, we I, I interview don't know, him I, every three, four months, going, oh, you're in something system, but U.S. men's national team. Every media member wipes themselves with oil right in front of the guy.
3: Well, I don't think they wipe themselves with oil. Well, I mean, they get so... U.S. fans do the same thing. We- <laughs> I, I think it's because Jurgen challenged the status quo with the U.S. soccer and uh, with MLS, essentially stating that MLS is an inferior league and players should go to Europe, given the chance. And I I think he provided a different voice than what we've heard in the past. Yeah, yeah, no, Jake,
1: Jake, 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 it's simple. This is why.
0: I love my daddy, my superhero.
1: Jürgen Klinsmann is the daddy of U.S. soccer. A German. Yeah, because this is how we treat him. We treat him like he is some sort of god when it comes to U.S. soccer.
2: We lost to Costa Rica 4-0, By the way, let's yeah. clarify that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And got, it's, yeah, it's, like, it, it, it's bizarre to me because all these things keep pop, uh, popping up and so. I mean, let's say yes, he did push players forward, but it's like, dude, like you've been like gone for a while. Like you have a job, of, well, I think, with Hertha Berlin now. Like, why, 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 why are we talking about you and like, oh, I could have done this with this team. Like, what, like, why? I, I don't know. You guys are right. It's, it's really weird. It's it is
3: weird. Let's let's listen to Jurgen Klinsmann talking about his five years with the U.S. men's national team. He had a sit-down interview with Adrian Heatley of ESPN FC.
5: And had these experiences with the team, with the federation, with the fans. It was it was a, a fantastic time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got uh, through the group of death in Brazil, which mm-hmm. nobody ever expected, you know. Um, we went into a Final Four in Copa America in 2016. You know, I helped uh, I don't know how many players to get uh, their move over to Europe to prove themselves. Some made it. Some came back in MLS, which is no shame, you know, so they gave it a
1: shot, you know. Mm. Man, that guy likes to talk about all the good things he did for U.S. soccer. Is it? I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember. Didn't we say like the U.S. should get out of the group of death or am I? Is he a, Is he actually genuinely saying, like, this was an accomplishment? Because I don't remember. Listeners, help me. What was the expectation of that 2014 run going into Brazil? Was it to get out of the group of death with Ghana, with Portugal, with
2: Germany? I feel like it was. I honestly do feel like it was. I mean, my my thing is with it, though, like, of course he's not going to mention that, you know, he set up – the team for failure against Mexico by like, telling them two days before, yeah, we're running a 3-5-2 against Mexico. And it, it burned them in the end. And the team's morale was low because they had no idea what they were doing. And they would go to Costa Rica and lose 4-0, putting them you know, in a little bit of a hole going into uh, – in the first two games of qualifying. Like, like yeah, of course we're not going to hear that kind of stuff. We're just going to hear, oh, top four, where they got – they got dis- I think they got beat pretty badly by Argentina. Or, oh, uh, you know, we got – all this is kind of uh, – it's just all a positive – it's all a revisionist history, I feel like, Stephen. Yeah. You know,
3: agree? Yeah. I, I, I think you're right too, Armand. I, mean, I, I remember that match against Argentina in, in Copa America. They got ran off the field as much as we'd like to rip on Greg Berhalter last segment about how Mexico ran the U.S. off the field in that 3-0 defeat earlier this year earlier in 2019. Yeah, but wouldn't you want rather- to get run
1: off by Messi in Argentina then – that's, your, yeah, your that's rival. a good
3: point too. That's a good point too. Plus, but...
1: plus, plus, getting to the final four was actually, I think, was the realistic expectation. Like, I mean, the, the 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 bar that was set, and and some of it had to do with the luck of the draw. You, you drew Argentina, who should have gone on and beat Chile in the final, but yeah, I, I think I think Jurgen does get something correct, and there is a lack of belief with the U.S. men's national team. And, and here he is on that.
5: So what happened now the last two or three years is very sad. Mm. It's really sad because the team belonged uh, into Russia. They belonged mm. into the World Cup. The qualification was pretty much done. Mm. Then uh, it happens, the big disaster in Trinidad-Tobago, which nobody ever could imagine, you know. So this threw back the whole, the whole national team program for many years. It throws it back, you know, because... Mm. Now there's a, uh, it's a lack, uh, there's a lack of, of belief, there's a lack of enthusiasm, there's a lack of, of uh, leadership in,
1: uh, at the end of the day. Guys, he, he's completely correct that there's a disbelief in the U.S. men's national team. Because what fan believes in this U.S. men's national team? Do you even think the players believe in themselves? They can say stuff, but it just doesn't appear to be that way on the field. They have question marks about their role, what they're doing. I think there's even, I think some players question Greg Burhalter in his decision making when it comes to the roster, particularly the European-based players. I'm telling you, this is something that is going to create a big mess is between the MLS-based players and the European-based players. And guess what, Jeff Cameron. Highlighted that with Bruce Arena with his with his play uh, player selection.
3: No, Steven, I I you're, I think you're correct. And I, I, look, you watch the team now, and yeah, no one knows. It, it feels like a lot of the players are like like chickens with their head cut off. Like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's expected of them. And as as a fan, you you, you see that. And look, we talked about this last week. Why? Why should we care about anything regarding the U.S. men's national team right now? I have zero belief that this program is moving in the right direction. Armand, do you have any belief that this program is moving in the right
2: direction? I mean, I can have belief that they're moving you know remotely in the right direction, but like overall as a whole, it's it, 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 look, dude, like you know, we're talking about a coach who he loves his concepts and stuff like that, but the results don't show. We're talking about a coach that, you know, we saw them lose three to Mexico and, He's talking about progress because he's trying to get this build out of back mentality or make this team play like Manchester City or something. Look, I can believe in the players. Okay, maybe the youth is going the right direction. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, I don't, it doesn't feel like it because it seems like every single time they play in competent competition, they struggle. They don't know what's going on, they lose. Or if they if they or if they lose, they lose in a bad way. You can lose in good ways and bad ways. That threw a loss. It wasn't good enough. Armand, do you and think we can on and on?
1: Do the players have faith in Greg Berhalter?
2: Honestly, I think they do. I genuinely think they do. The they younger respect ones. respect him. The younger ones, but maybe not the older ones. The younger
1: ones do. The older ones, I don't think they do. I guess th- does. It, I guess that's all you really need is the younger guys to believe in you. Yeah.
2: I because know. the old guys I, are going
1: I, yeah. going away I, I,
2: I mean I don't know if like a John Brooks does for example yeah yeah
1: that's, that's fair and then uh, Jake <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jürgen Klinsmann man talk about him being the daddy
0: I love my daddy my superhero
3: you're gonna beat that soundbite,
2: yeah. In, I know, to man. The
3: Ground. It's like a dead
1: horse right now. <laughs> yep it's it's getting played. What about the fact that he thinks he can get the Jurgen Klinsman uh oh, sorry. What about the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann thought he'd get the U.S. men's national team to the quarterfinal slash semifinal even final of the 2018 World Cup? Now, if he said that about the 2014 World Cup. He's correct because Wondolowski missed a sitter against Belgium in the dying minutes of regulation. He could have sent the United States to the quarterfinal in the 2014 World Cup. Chris Wondolowski,
3: let's flip the page well, of 20. 20- he went sent. He would have sent them that they still had to go through PKs. But I get what you're saying.
1: No, no, no. He missed a sitter at the end of regulation when it was one. Uh, when it was uh, still tied up, they sent it to extra time.
3: Uh- I thought that was against oh, when it was two one after the Julian Green goal. No, I thought was it. it
2: the, was there two sitters? Was there two sitters by Wando that he missed? I thought there was. I thought the sitter in extra time. Well, there was one that he the, missed. Maybe it would have. I thought it was he, it before. Was, it was before. It was before extra time. He missed. Oh yes. Oh, I, remember, I don't remember yeah.
3: that one. I, I I remember the one in, in extra time after the Julian Green goal that would have tied it up at two two. Sorry, I don't remember the the one. During All right. Well, anyway, but- y-
1: here's Cleansman.
5: End of the day, so it's a very, very difficult job that now mm. Greg Berhalter has on his hands, you know, to rebuild this entire program, which we were actually uh, in a good place. You mm. know, it was progressing. I said, you know, I take that team in Russia into the final eight or even in the final four because mm. it was a building block that was all laid out, it was all uh, there was a plan for it, but mm. the plan got interrupted, then it got even more interrupted when we didn't qualify. Mm. Then for Russia, and it's it's uh. This
1: dude's nuts. There's no way that team could have... Th- do we even think they could have gone out of the group?
3: Well, Steven, Captain America... I should say Captain America. The Wonder Kid himself believes that they had the quality
0: <laughs> to Ugh. make
3: a deep run. Christian Pulisic said to ESPN, I think we had the quality to make a deep run. I don't see any reason why we couldn't have... Once you get those, uh, once you get to those knockout stages, I think anything's possible. I think anything could happen. Uh, Pulisic also spoke very highly of his relationship with Klinsman. Uh, I had a really good relationship with Jurgen. To be honest, he gave me my first chance really with the national team, so I don't have anything bad to say about him at all. I'm really thankful for everything that he gave me. So I think this goes back to your previous statement about the young guys believing in Berhalter, but some of the older guys or the 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 old guard not believing in what Berhalter's yeah, okay, telling, because but- here we have Christian Pulisic saying, "I love Jurgen. He gave me my chance, and I would I would you know I would love to play for him." Yeah. Okay. Frankly speaking,
1: there was no way in hell that team in 2018 was getting anywhere at the World Cup. Qualifying was a disaster to begin with. Do you know what group they would have been in, Armand? Like, if we were just going to play the simple substitution method, uh, they would have been in the group. Obviously, it depended depended on which pot the uh, the U.S. would have gotten in. But let's just replace them with Panama because Panama slid in, right, just before the U.S. They would have been in the group with Belgium, England, and Tunisia. Guess where Belgium ended up in the semifinals of the World Cup? Where did England end up in the semifinals of the World Cup? Do you honestly think the U.S. had a chance? To get past England and Belgium in the group stage to even qualify for the knockout stage?
2: No way. I, I don't think so. And honestly, it's because Jurgen isn't a good tactical manager. I think that would have bit them in the behind as well, uh, especially against those guys. We, we saw Roberto Martinez in that match uh, against Brazil, Brazil, Belgium, kind of exploit Brazil in like the per- most perfect way possible. And I don't think, I think Jurgen would have been exposed at some point, either early on or. Uh, in the group stage, or if they made it to the next round, that next round as well. Just a thought.
1: Yeah, I I, I just find it baffling. Abe, Jurgen's saying that, sure, right? He's already USA's daddy when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. Christian Pulisic, fine. You want to have the belief in yourself, go for it. But if anybody's actually eating the cheese on this, I think you need to have a reality check because this U.S. men's national team has talent. They simply do. But when they come together as one team, there is a lot of problems.
3: Coming up next, Joseph Lowry of The Athletic is going to join us. We're going to talk all things MLS. Stick around.
1: Alrighty, we're joined by Joseph Lowry of the Athletic. Joseph Joseph, welcome, welcome. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joe and Cleats. Man, it's been a while since we've had you on. It's good to, to have it you has. back. Thanks for that intro, Stephen. It's
6: good to be back on and talking with you folks. Uh I'm excited because that means MLS is back and
1: uh it'll be a good time tonight. Well, I think uh Armand when we were we we're meeting before the show alluded to saying, Well, we're talking MLS, but do we really know if an MLS season is going to happen this year? With the CBA still up in the air?
2: It's so weird, man. It's like we haven't heard any news about the CBA, what's going on. Like, is there any negotiations? We don't know. And I find it really weird because we have all these major moves being made by MLS teams. But we also don't know if, like, some of the mechanisms will even exist, right? Like, what if TAM goes away? Like, what happens to the players that were yeah. acquired using TAM or TAM money traded around? Maybe it's it, maybe it's in existence for one more season that goes in effect next year, but like it's 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 super weird to be in this spot. I feel like not a lot of people are I think we're all assuming the season's gonna start. I guess I'm assuming it too, because the players are going to training camp right now, right? Like there's training camp for CCL teams. So what exactly is going on? It's super weird, man. Do,
1: uh, do, do any of you know
2: and listeners at
1: Unc Soccer Pod, at Armoncy, at Jake Trobe, at Joe and at Steven Jodder. Do we know if the team, if this, uh, the Champions League teams will play in the Champions League if the CBA is not agreed upon? What, or is that something different? I
6: I don't know. That's such an interesting question. That's another one of these really weird wrinkles to the CBA negotiation that, as Armand said, we just really don't have a lot of info on right now. Um, I mean, I can see either way, either one of those two things happening with the teams technically not playing in an MLS competition. Maybe that means they would play. But again, they're still MLS teams competing. So I don't know how the legal side of that works. It's a really weird situation, and I I do kind of feel like I'm burying my head in the ground a little bit and just assuming that it's going to happen, but we just don't know. We straight up don't know right now.
2: Yeah. Well, Jake, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Like, th- what um, are they going to do, Jake? What are they going to do? Oh,
3: well, as the uh, as the old man on this podcast here, uh, I have no idea. I was <laughs> me and Steve were talking about this yesterday, and I just thought, what happens? I think the CBA. It expires at the end of january correct yeah so what happens in february when we start ccl i, I mean like that's what obviously what Stephen just asked like this is what spurred this entire conversation but who is paying those players during the ccl is it is it Concacaf? is it mls i mean how does that whole thing work out I, i'm not entirely sure and joseph alluded to this too we're all just kind of assuming that this st- season's going to start on time and that there's not going to be a lockout or a Striker, I guess, would be a lockout in this case, and it's it, it it is very interesting, and the repercussions that could face this league if if this season does not start on time is going to be fascinating to me. But considering how niche MLS is in a U.S. marketplace, well, I, I mean, what what are the ramifications a lockout could have on this league? I mean, that's hopefully that doesn't happen, but that's going to be super interesting to see how that whole entire thing plays out.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially, especially though, especially with, like, all the signings that, you know, have been made this offseason, to be honest with me. I mean, I have a list of, like, eight, like, you know, pretty big signings. Team splashing in the Cash, like SKC and Alan Pulido, Columbus Crew and Lucas DeLorean, DC United, Edson Flores, at FC Cincinnati signing a DP and Yuya Kubo. Like, we can go on and on. Yimichara for Portland. If this season doesn't happen, those teams and those players, like, uh... What is going on? And I wonder, especially for those foreign players, like this was oh, Steve, this must be super weird for them. They're expecting to play and then they like all of a sudden they say nothing gets agreed upon and they don't play. Super weird, man. Well, not it, only not only does it not do they not play, they don't get
3: paid either. Exactly. Just That's weird. the other weird thing. So it's it's almost as if there's like uh something agreed upon like almost underneath the table, like uh, and, and I don't know. I I mean this is me completely speculating. Somebody has to be telling these players the season's going to start on time. We just need to iron out these these minor details in the CBA negotiation, but you're going to be okay. Yeah, but could you imagine? If I, if I'm can a player, you imagine? Being why a, would I make a move? Why would I make a move here if I can just wait until June or July when the the, the summer window opens and make the move then? Well, but Jake, could you imagine being a a, a GM in the situation? And, and we already know some
1: GMs have no idea are, are taking a very conservative approach. Uh, via mickey turner's article on soccer esq or sq.com the real drag is the cba and i'm reading from it we don't know the rules we don't know the money we will have the most important thing for us is not to jeopardize any of good players we have we have very good a very good foundation and we do not want to be in a position where we have to offload one of the guys that helped us win an mls cup or an M- or mls cups we are going to be conservative until the agreement is reached and that's that's GM Gareth Larraway of the Seattle Sounders. It, it sounds crazy that some of these GMs have to take a step back and have their hands up in the air and say, we just have to play this by year until the agreement is signed to know what money we're going to be dealing with.
6: And it's a, it's a weird situation because, as Armand pointed out, we are seeing some teams come in and splash cash, right? We're seeing signings come in for $5, 6 7 $8, 9000000 million from maybe even some historically quiet spenders. So that's that's half of it, right? And then we're seeing some other teams, Seattle being one of them who haven't made many major moves this offseason, the Red Bulls as another one who really haven't done much of anything in terms of bringing in key contributors. And then even the two expansion teams, Nashville probably has done more than, than Andrew Miami has so far this offseason in terms of, you know, big-time or, or more big-time player acquisition. But we're seeing some teams take a really conservative approach to this offseason so far. So it's an interesting mixture of new big-time signings or, or what these teams expect to be big-time signings and a quiet, kind of more relaxed offseason for some of these GMs as they wait to figure out what exactly is going to actually happen in terms of the CBA.
2: No, and Joseph, now let's get back more to the on-the-field on the kind of stuff. Uh, I see obviously Joseph Rice for the Athletic. Uh he spoke, you spoken you've spoken to a lot of coaches this off season. And within those conversations, have any of those actually which one of those has actually stood out to you uh you know from the ones you've talked to? Yeah, so to give our listeners
6: a little bit of background, this offseason for a series of pieces I've been doing for the athletics, some have been out, some ha- are still in the in the editing threshold. Um but I've spoken to uh, a handful of coaches, Oscar Pareja. Coming into Orlando City back in MLS, uh, Nashville's Gary Smith coming up from USL, uh, Tab Ramos in Houston coming from the U20s now to his first professional job in MLS, and then uh, two interim coaches who were made official hires earlier this offseason: RSL's Freddie Juarez and Colorado's Robin Frazier. Of those guys that I've talked with, the the last two, the two interim guys, were the most definitely the most interesting conversations. Um, They they were willing to kind of approach the game from a tactical perspective in a way that I think is maybe even sort of unique in terms of coaches around the league. Freddy Juarez in particular for RSL, his I was asking him a lot of nerdy tactical questions because that's what the scope of the piece was. And that's also the kind of thing that I'm interested in. But his level of detail as he approached the questions that I was I was giving him was really really impressive and and I'm sure I'd be easily impressed because I'm not a pro soccer player. hears the stuff all the time, but the way that he approached um, the game and, and outlining his phases of play, and what he wants to do with RSL this season, was really encouraging. Uh, it's kind of tough with RSL because I'm not sure they have you know elite a lot of elite talent to work with. But coming away from that conversation, we talked for maybe 45 minutes on the phone and what was supposed to be kind of a 15 minute interview, but we were just really going. His understanding of the game was so clear to me um, that I came away from that conversation really kind of encouraged about the project and RSL and feeling like, at least to me, he really did seem like the right guy to get that permanent tag.
2: So, Joseph, I got to ask you this. Are they the team that you're excited for in 2020? Is there a specific team you are excited for? Uh, or, or if anything, is there a team you're also down on as well? Yeah. So... RSL is definitely one of them.
6: As I mentioned, kind of the downside is I I don't know. Oh, they the have down? No, 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 no. So a positive about RSL. I was like, <laughs> slight downside that they don't have a lot of elite talent, at least to my eye, Um, but definitely excited and interested to see what Freddie Juarez is going to do with that squad this season, taking over for Mike Pecky. I think he's definitely going to instill more of a defined detailed tactical approach. So I'm obviously excited to see that and to take, Armand, you and I have talked about this many times in the past. I know even on this show, Colorado, man, Colorado, Colorado with Robin Frazier. I definitely think that oh, he has back to it. a lot, a lot the of most pieces interesting
2: team in MLS, now. guys. Come on, man. Hate, and Tom Bogart, you're right. And Tom Bogert, you're right about that. You and Tom, and,
6: I think yeah. you and Tom are definitely on the on the yeah. right side of this argument.
2: And and for, for our listeners, Tom Bogert of MLS soccer has reported that they're going after a uh, a DP number ten, and they, uh, and another, I think another DP as well, uh, to add to their team. And like I said, most interesting team in the league. They're but, just so solid. They're just so solid. Exactly. Like they
6: have two solid center backs, Lasse Abubakar and Austin Trustee. They have solid fullbacks, a young guy in Sam Vines on the left, Keegan Rosenberry on the right, who can also tuck in and play as a third center back if Frazier wants to to mess with that a little bit. And then they have decent attacking talent already. Not not great, but Jonathan Lewis is a above average MLS player we think. Still haven't seen a lot of him in this league, but Matt Doyle seems to love him with his whole heart. So uh, that's definitely a plus, I suppose. And then you've got Andre Shinoshiki, who's a talented guy. Rubio, I mean, you just have a lot of quality players for Colorado without, I'm not even sure they have any DPs on their roster right now. So you sign a number 10, you bring in maybe another central midfielder to give Kellen Acosta and Jack Price a little bit of competition. That's a good squad, especially underneath a guy like Robin Frazier, who also coming away from my conversation with him definitely left me encouraged about kind of his view of the game and how that's going to actually be shown on the field in Colorado this season.
3: Well, didn't they, under Robin Frazier, what, since when he took over for Anthony, Anthony Hudson or sorry, uh, was it Keller? Yep. Was that indirectly? He took over for Connor Casey from Connor Anthony Casey. Hun- why I think Keller anyway, neither that doesn't matter Did, at that point. Didn't they, uh, didn't they have the most points uh, either in the Western conference or MLS Kirkman, wrong here? From 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 when Roger Frazier or from when uh, Frazier took over till the end of the season, I don't know for sure about that stat, but they were they were bad.
6: Before Robin Fraser got there, well, okay, they weren't terrible. They
2: almost made the play. They, playoffs and then they almost made right?
6: playoffs. The playoffs. Exactly. They they won. I think five out of their last seven games. They were only truly eliminated uh, on the last day on decision day against LAFC. So Fraser worked some real magic. Uh, I don't think he would say that, but he he definitely had a real effect on that team in a very short period of time last season. So how much more? Obviously, you have some of a new coach buzz that comes in. They're definitely going to get a little bump from that. But how much more will he be able to truly make a mark on this team with a full offseason and a full regular season uh, in charge? So Colorado, definitely, Armand, uh, Armand, Arman, you're absolutely right. They're definitely a team to watch.
2: So I got to ask you this, Joseph, because we always talk about a team we're high on. Can we talk about a team we're low on? And with, I want to jump. I want to be the first one to jump on this. Jake, I'm sorry to mention this. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy I'm gonna I'm gonna sell my stock in Minnesota United. Uh, oh no, I, I'm not I'm not that I'm not that high I'm not that high. I'm sure they're adding Shacone. I mean, I guess you can say they're adding him. Uh, but I just feel like they're, uh, they're gonna regress. They're
3: adding. Uh, I don't know if you are aware of this, Armand. I saw saw this on Reddit earlier today. It reports out of Ecuador, they are adding the top scorer uh, in the Ecuadorian league, the Golden Boot winner. Um, I to don't the squad
2: the, the striker. What? I'm not believer. In, I'm not believer Man, in how can't. he sets up his team.
3: Uh, I'm not a believer b- either. I'm not a believer either. But they did play really good defense. They
1: also might replace.
2: Thank Joe Hart. Joe no. Hart?
3: No. Enter
2: Joe Hart. No. No. Oh, yeah. My okay, God.
3: Jake. Joe Hart.
2: We replace
3: a championship goalie with a Premier League goalie. I mean, come on! It sounds like a good, good swap, <laughs> box, doesn't
2: it? From Vito to to Joe Hart. And if you say it like that, yeah, I mean, that's, it sounds. That's, but the question is, good, doesn't
1: it? The question really is: is what's the money being spent on that goalkeeping position? Dude, because I, if
2: it's anything above, like, well, if oh, you man, no,
1: no, no, it doesn't matter what's it above. It's whether or not you give him a DP spot. Because I, Joseph, I don't know. Are you? We, the three of us on this show, all agree. You do not. Waste a DP position on a goalkeeper
6: No, if you're gonna use it on a defender give it to a center back. I mean the the level of defending especially central defending on the whole in this league is is pretty poor So if you're gonna toss out a DP spot to someone in a defensive kind of minded spot At least if i'm making the decision i'm gonna choose that center back nine times out of 10 99 times out of 100 I don't think there are a few keepers that, sure, if Allison's coming to Major League Soccer and he wants to ping 90-yard balls onto uh, onto Carlos Vela's foot for LAFC, okay. Yeah, sure, give him a DP deal. But uh, I don't think Joe Hart, who's, I believe, not even playing in the Premier League at this point, is worthy of one Burnley. of these kinds of
0: contracts.
3: Burnley started in their uh, FA Cup match against – Yeah, uh, Joseph, what do you know per- about the Premier League, Peterborough? <laughs> <You're at> FLS, <laughs> Come on, man. Hey, not even the Premier League, FA Cup. Um, That's the only appearance he's made for Burnley this season, I believe, is uh, the yeah. Peterborough uh, start. So, no, I mean, look. I mean, if we're going to talk about a goalkeeping situation here, I mean, Vito Manone, when he was brought in on loan last year, I think he was the the third string goalkeeper for Reading, who at the time were in one of the three relegation spots in the championship. So, look, I, I mean, look, I, I, if, if it was up to me, I wouldn't bring in Joe Hart. I wouldn't him as a DP. I think wasting an, even an international slot on a goalkeeper is kind of asinine in my mind. I think you, there there, there are, are a lot of good option alternate options you could uh, bring in if you were uh, Minnesota United to replace Vito Manone. Uh, I think, you know, like Alex Bono, it comes to mind. You could insert him uh, that's a, as that's the a really, That's a really good name. That's a really good and, name. I, you could insert him there, and I don't think you would be missing much. I think – and, and Armand can speak to this more. I think Vito Manoni's performance last year for Minnesota United was more of a byproduct of the players in front of him. It was more of a byproduct of Michael Boxel and Icapara and Ozzy Alonso. Oh, and he and was Gianni overrated. Grigouche. Overrated, yeah.
2: Yep, I yeah. I agree. I think I think he was I think he was relatively overrated, um, and he won goalkeeper of the year. So take it for what it's worth. Well, oh, There you go. Uh,
1: look, guys, we're, we're flying through time here, and. Uh, and we got to talk about Nashville and Miami Joseph the new kids on the block who's having a better off season so far this is such an a weird discussion because it kind of feels like the answer is
6: neither of them um yeah.
2: miami really? so really, miami, i think miami's better than nashville right now
6: Uh, maybe marginally, but that wasn't the question. The question was who's having the better off season. Mm -hmm. Miami, Miami's one DP they acquired before this off season began. Um, Okay, man. So I'm not even trying to split hairs here, but think about from Miami's perspective, they went through a number of coaching targets before having to get to Diego. So who, I think we'll still be a good coach in this league and has good experience and a good pedigree, but they didn't get the guy they were after or probably even the second guy they were after. So that's not ideal. And then they haven't done much in terms of signing actual like big name, not even big name. I'm talking I'm not talking about David Silva. I'm talking about like quality above average attacking talent like they haven't done a lot of that kind of digging in terms of a player acquisition. So. Yeah, Miami probably maybe has the edge right now. I'm not even sure that I I'm super comfortable saying that. Nashville has brought on a couple of guys in Hani Mukhtar and Randall Leal two, I think attackers that are as good or maybe better than anyone Miami has in that respect. And and that's that's kind of it outside of the basic kind of required MLS roster building that you have.
1: Could, could we get a letdown if Miami don't sign a superstar? I mean, God, what are the rumors? Messi, Cavani. Uh, David Silva. I mean, you roll through. These are huge names in Europe. If Miami don't sign a name like that, I I think as fans, or if you're a Miami fan, you got to be somewhat let down. you got to be like, what is going on? You guys want to promise fireworks, and what are we getting? A little firecracker?
6: And I think if that happens, if they go through this whole season without one of those big names. I mean, Messi's unrealistic, right? Probably even Suarez and Cavani. Um, But if they don't go through and bring in someone that's a household name that can actually contribute and not just be there for the media attention, if they don't do that, then, yeah, their season's going to be really tough for them. Now, that said, I really do believe even if it's not in this transfer window in the summer, they will bring someone in. Uh, I think they will. It would be too much of a wasted opportunity for them, as we just said, Stephen, to not make a move like that. So I think it will happen. But just in terms of where these teams are situated in the offseason now, neither one has has overwhelmed me, uh, you know, positively or or negatively, really, one way or the other, with the moves that they've made.
2: I mean, Joseph, like counter argument to you, uh, obviously the technical director, GM, whatever his name is, uh, Paul McDonough, was at Atlanta when they were building their roster as well. It seems like they're kind of following the same blueprint of sorts it's like kind of like splashy signings but like you know like obviously they're spending the money but it's not really like the names that we know of if that makes any sense like not the Cavani's or Suarez's the Messi's I I personally have to give the edge to to Miami uh, because I feel like they are trying to make they're making small moves like Luis Robles I think that's a fantastic move from Miami that you know that's That's going really under the radar that no one's really talking about and I think McDonald's building this roster, and I think it, it, it's fine, but there were like rumored to like with the River Plate guy, maybe a $15, $20 million bid that we don't really know. Like It's not popular in like popular soccer culture, like a Messi or a Ronaldo or whatever, but it's still a big move. And I feel like that's the same case with Atlanta because they got what they had Joseph Martinez, Almiron, and Villalba. I mean, how many of those guys were household names? None. I don't think anyone yeah. knew I- I- any of them. So I-, I feel like they're kind of following the same uh, same uh, blueprint. But you have a great point with the coach because I think they struck out on their first two or three options before they went to Alonso. I feel like. And, That's
6: what I feel like. And I believe that is true um, from what I understand. I think just... I think I agree with you. Essentially, from a personnel perspective, Armand, this this discussion could be totally different a week, two, three weeks from now, based on whether Miami don't not necessarily they bring in the David Silva, but they bring in, um, I believe it was Roger Martinez that they were linked to from from Mexico Club America. I believe I have that name right, or or another player of that you know kind of quality, right, 10, yeah, fifteen right. million dollars. You're right. That that could totally change this discussion because I do think with the with the current roster they have now with a lot of solid MLS players or a couple of promising younger guys you add in you know a top quality goal scorer to that group and your the ball is totally different at that point. So just based on now I'm definitely uh underwhelmed by kind of both of these teams but some of that's just the nature of expansion and that obviously is fickle and changes with time.
3: Well, you guys uh let's talk a little bit more rumors. Let's talk about a couple uh, players Specifically, uh, when we come back from break, stick around. Luka Modric, Chicharito. We're going to talk about that with Joseph Lowry, amongst other things. Stay tuned. Hey boys we got joseph lowry of the athletic kind enough to join us here this sunday night as we talk a little mls and let's talk a little silly season guys should we talk some silly season, some silly season rumors oh my
1: god every, t- every time every time rumors. you bring it up jake i feel i feel like this never goes well what? hey
3: I, I, I just want to talk silly season. We got Joseph Lowry. We got some expertise finally on this podcast. I just, I just want to hear what he has
2: to say about are we not that boy, no pun off. hear no. that? no. Did you just? Did I mean, guys- he's right. Joseph's an expert. He has knowledge <laughs> yeah, and stuff. That's, you guys that's why we bring of, him on. You guys
3: are a bunch of schmucks, minus Joseph Lowry. Let's talk. Man, okay, okay let's big talk big stuff. So, <laughs> let's talk some silly season. I want. Okay, let's let's dive right in here. Let's talk about the big, big, big name mentioned. Uh, in in uh, MLS rumor mills, this last couple of weeks, Luka Chicharito? Modric. No, we'll get to him in a second. No, here. I
1: think Chicharito's a bigger name. I, think, I agree. I, I think the characterization Ballador? of Luka he, Modric is 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 not big name. Did
3: he win a did he went a Ballon d'Or the last two years? Has he played in a World Cup? I final? don't care.
1: I don't. I genuinely don't think Luka Modric moves the needle like Chicharito does.
2: So 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 guys guys, let me give you a little perspective. I was talking uh, uh, to John Arnold, and I was like, "Would
3: uh, sick name drop."
2: Yes, I always got <laughs> to name drop my boy. Uh, but I asked him, I'm like, yo, like, because Paul Tenoro tweeted out, oh, he still 50,000. I'm like, we didn't move the needle that much. And he told me, he goes, think about it this way. Okay, some people know Luka Madre's, like soccer players. Like it's mainstream. Uh, he goes, this would be the biggest name since Beckham. Latinos, whether they watch soccer or not, they know who Chicharito is. That's how big of a signing this would be. And I think sometimes we're kind of – Un- underestimating or whatnot, but to hear it from him and to hear it in that perspective, I have to agree with Stephen. I think Chicharito moves a needle ten times more than a guy like Luka Modric. Chicharito moves the needle off off the field, definitely more. I don't
6: think many people would argue that way in terms of on-field stuff, which may be less important in this conversation because we are talking about these big names who are there for more than just the actual soccer part of soccer. But in terms of the on-field stuff, I think. I think Modric I side with Steven on or uh, I side with Jake on this because Modric has mad like he's Yeah, but he's thirty
1: four. He's still quite up there in age. The way, but Wh- the way why he are we sleeping
6: plays, on Chicharito, the way he though. plays, I don't know that it matters.
3: Because one but, player okay. plays for the best for Real Madrid, and another plays for Sevilla. I mean, I mean, come on, like Luka. And he's Ma- not really playing for Sevilla, and he's not really playing for Sevilla. Luka Modric is clearly the better player of the two. I mean, he's two years removed from winning the Ballon d'Or. But he, what what can he bring yeah, we're to a see- squad
1: if he goes to DC United, as as the original rumor was? He's not taking them to a deep run into the Eastern Conference Final or MLS
3: Cup. I think they. Okay, they- let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Is Chicharito replacing the 30-plus goals that Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored for LA Galaxy last year? Tell me that. Can you definitively tell me right now that Chicharito is going to score 30-plus goals? Okay, Jake.
1: Jake, here's the problem with the Galaxy. It's defensively. They they can score goals. With Chicharito, you're selling tickets and seats and TV viewership. You know how much more exciting LA Galaxy uh, versus LAFC has become when it's Carlos Vela versus Chicharito? I don't care what he does on the field. Steven, Chicharito a, sells tickets.
2: Point. Also, remember, wait, LA, wait, 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 LA, wait. hey, remember, LAFC—they kind of pulled in that Latino audience, and wait. now you bring a guy like Chicharito to the Galaxy. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You
3: can't tell me you don't care what Chicharito does in the field, and then tell me how exciting Galaxy LAFC is going to be if Chicharito doesn't can't replicate what Zlatan did last year then El Trafico isn't as exciting no, as it I, no, has no. been.
1: Yes, it is. Yes, it no, is. No,
3: because, because all it's exciting is, well, you have yeah this Jake. Mexican national team legend versus Carlos Vela. Okay, Jake. great, but if the game sucks, who cares? Jake, Jake,
1: El, El Clasico, what, the, the biggest rivalry out there. Did you really care once Ronaldo left for Juventus? No. Quite frankly, no. Sure, you might watch it because it's talented For El Clasico? For El... I'm going to... El, uh, El Clasico between Real Madrid and Barcelona.
3: I've <laughs> never watched an El Clasico because, I honestly, I don't care. Okay. Even if Cristiano Ronaldo is playing or not, I honestly don't care. But I don't when Ronaldo think it's, really, it's there. not a derby. It's not a rivalry. It's just the two best teams in Spain playing each other. It is a rivalry. It's, not, it's just not a no, derby. No, it's, it's not nearly as I, – I would I would rather watch Rangers Celtic than watch Barca-Real. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: Jake, you're whack. <laughs>
3: Yeah, honestly. Me, no because, that, because there's the so passion, loud, there's right there. there's no emotion. Jake, I, I yes, feel, there is. Real, they hate Barca. each other there's more. There, oh, no, no, boy. no, 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 no. There is a hell of a lot more hate, a hell of a lot more emotion in in Rangers Celtic than there is in Barça. Reality, just because how, how just because here, one, just because one here? rivalry has messy. And Ronaldo playing each other, and the other doesn't. Doesn't make it this more. It, it might be more uh, visually pleasing because you, it's the two best teams in the world. But in terms of hate and emotion and the fan bases, you have a one fan you, like for Celtic Rangers. It's there's politics, there's religion, there's, there's the politics, upper class, the middle it, class. It, it doesn't there's not it does not exist in Barca Real. Yes, it does. No, not to, extent, and, and not to the extent. Not to the okay, extent. Not to the extent. Armand.
1: Jake is just saying we've that we've gone off Rain- the rails.
3: We've gone off the rails. Okay. Here. Yes. Back the rails. we were bring talking back to about MLS. MLS. Okay. MLS.
1: Okay. Joseph. Joseph. Well, <laughs> answer
6: this. That and- was great to listen to. That was actually
1: that was good content,
3: folks. <laughs> That's the most animated you will hear me, and it's not because of the Crown Royal I'm drinking. It's because I really think that. <laughs> okay, Joseph. <laughs> in under a minute, Luka Modric. What can he
1: bring to a squad? Can he elevate a team like a DC United to somewhere where? they haven't been before in recent years can't he elevate that team to becoming a deep uh successful team that people will be afraid to play in the regular season come playoffs
6: dc united with the way their roster is or the way it was last season luka modric obviously would improve them it would be ridiculous to say that he wouldn't but i don't think he he has them in mls cup last season just because of the problems that they had with that roster the lack of talent kind of in the attack to be quite honest um if they make some of the moves that they're talking about making, Edson Flores seems to be seems to be done. Uh, it doesn't look like they're gonna bring in Brian Lozano. Uh, but if they make another move, maybe next transfer window, next transfer window, or in next off season, if they ever actually bring in Modric to to couple with Modric. Then it's a whole different ball game, I think, at that point, because Modric has the creativity, he has the passing ability. He can take that team up a level in possession just by himself. Uh, I don't think he'll do much goal scoring, just because he's not ever asked to do that. That's not his game. But you pair him with uh, two, three capable goal scorers, and then you're really looking at a contender. So Modric by himself, not enough. Modric with a couple of attackers. Now, now you're really yeah, talking. You're right. There we go. And now, okay, okay. Let's, let's talk. Okay,
3: wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, now I want. Okay, sorry, I'm gonna hide. Jack this for a second here. Now, now Joseph, I want you to tell me what would a Chicharito signing mean for the galaxy on the field,
0: <laughs> on
6: the field, on the field. I don't think he's not Ibrahimovic, right? But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, we talk a lot about how, how many goals Ibrahim scored and, and how much he just is on field antics and all of those things. We talk about that a lot. We don't talk about how little he defended, uh, very yep, often. Yep. And that hurt the galaxy a yep. significant amount. Obviously their lack of defensive talent, uh, Probably played a bigger role in that, but they were defending with nine outfield players for 85 percent of their like 85 percent of the minutes. So Chicharito, I think he would score 20 goals. I do believe that. Um, And I think he would be more active defensively. I don't know that he makes a Galaxy MLS Cup contender, uh, but he definitely takes them up a level. I don't know if he takes them up enough levels to to make a difference. But if you're the Galaxy, maybe they don't even care about that. Maybe all they care about is selling out StubHub every single game. And that has value in and of itself.
1: Well, Jake, but do you think the Galaxy, regardless of what the on-field situation, this is almost a must sign. Think about somebody to replace Ibra's stature. You need somebody who's going to take them further, right? Uh, Further than they did under Ibrahimovic. Yeah, because they they crashed out. They they played uh, Minnesota United, right? And that seemed to be a predictable win. Sorry, Jake. But it just seemed – you were there, Jake. It just seemed like they were going to I was
3: there. I was there via Brian Williams. (laughs) That's an old meme. That's an old meme. But, yes, yeah, that did seem like a predictable run. Carry uh, on. Sorry. But, but, right, the Galaxy
1: are – well, now this is even more controversial – are one of the biggest clubs in MLS. They're at least the most successful, but they have also been around a very long time they have to play two hats they also have to play well how are we going to get people to come to our games and how are we going to be successful and chicharito seems to be able to do kind of both chicharito is it's not
6: i mean ibrahimovic wasn't enough if if we're talking about one guy to, to make the difference
0: right.
1: if
6: he's not enough chicharito is not going to be enough so then you got to look and say well okay if we get a guy like chicharito and we're filling up the stadium and we're We're really kind of back at the peak of MLS in terms of, you know, the media and the fan and just the buzz around the team. That's that's half the battle. But then you have to continue to bring in guys who can supplement Chicharito and actually build a a whole team. And they haven't done that the last couple of seasons. The back line, especially in the middle, not not very good. Uh, The midfield is definitely solid, and some of the attacking talent they have is solid. But they've lacked the balance from from top to bottom that you really need to be an MLS Cup. Like contender year in and year out, so Chicharito would absolutely make a difference. But like I said, with Modric in DC, one guy, it's it's really hard to find one player who's going to make the difference in and of himself. Mm-hmm. You got to have a competent
2: roster built around that guy to really succeed. Now speaking of DPs and speaking of you know spending big on aging players, there's a rumored new DP rule coming out according to Sam Stay School of the Athletic, and we're going to go through briefly what they are. We'll get we'll get our takes on it. Under these new rules? If none of a team's three DPs are under 23, the annual spend for one of those players would be capped at a sum of one million dollars plus the season that season's maximum budget charge. If the team has w- at least one U23 DP, they're able to spend any amount on all three of their DPs. So, for example, if Toronto FC were if this rule in play in Toronto FC was around, they would not be able to have Sebastian Giovinco, Michael Bradley, and Josie Altidore. Uh, there was no way because they're they're. Uh, annual spend on all of those three would definitely eclipse over a million dollars. And essentially, what this is is they it, it seems a little bit like you know some teams want to kind of close the gap on what's this weird MLS arms race that we talked about. I mean, SKC just spent 10 million dollars on Alan Pulido, uh, Portland spent six million on Yimichara, uh, the Caroos spent eight, nine, ten million on Lucas El Like, we can go on and on. Uh, and in states article, he pointed out how. The two teams that are really talking about changing them were FC Dallas and Vancouver. Uh, teams are historically on the lower end of spending. Now, guys, we hear this. It seems like another cap being put on teams in Major League Soccer to, you know, okay, am kind of hidden behind this. We want to be this selling league. What do you guys think of it? I mean, personally, for me, it seems like let's let the teams build how they want. I don't understand why I do all these restrictions. This is, this I don't is, get it.
1: This is not smart. If a team can sign DPs that are 26, 27, and 28, now you're going to restrict that ability because I have to sign somebody who's under 23? What are we doing? I get it. The league, wants to, the league wants to promote youth, but then give them a fourth DP spot that allows them to go after that U23 or even give them a fifth spot. If teams want to spend, let them spend. It's not my money. Spend all you want. It's like we, we criticize MLB for having no cap and then... People or fans are talking about money being spent by the clubs and how the owner clubs are being cheap. Who cares? It's not your money. Fans, let the clubs let the clubs spend as much as it wants because it's not your money. So why not let Atlanta? Why not let Miami, L.A., Seattle's spend as much as they want? And teams like FC Dallas, the Revs, Colorado, Chicago. But we'll see with Chicago. They want to be on the cheaper and let them be cheap. And it's gonna catch up with them one day
6: yeah i mean the more spending caps the more complex you make all the rules that mls already has the harder the league is to digest to people and if you're limiting already the quality on the field with with more of these budgetary caps then then you're just shooting yourself in the foot right so some of these you know lower spending teams fc dallas vancouver it might work well for them in the short term but 10, 15 years from now, you're there and, and you've hampered the entire league because your ownership doesn't want to spend or, or reportedly doesn't want to spend money to keep pace with the rest of the league. And that's just not smart. Like just from a business perspective only, that's incredibly short-sighted to have that be your approach. So, yeah, I, hopefully the, the rules – are simplified even further, honestly. that I think pretty much everybody would agree and prefer that the rules be be cut back and have teams, like Stephen said, spend if they want to, and if they don't, you're going to get left behind only as much as you can get left behind in a league that we know is without promotion and relegation. So it's a pretty high floor for some of these teams that don't want to spend their money.
3: No, I agree with Joseph just on the simple fact of simplifying everything. I mean, how many times, Stephen and Armand, how many times do we have conversations not even talking about MLS, but we talk about like the NBA and, and being like, well, this team has X amount of dollars in cap space to send next summer. Like that's going to be super exciting. They can sign guy X, Y, and Z. When you talk about MLS, you have, well, they have, have, and we don't even know. We can only speculate or listen. The media speculates on this. Well, this team has maybe 3 million in gam or 2 million in Tam. And well, they could spend this mon- amount of Tam to buy down this DP and it opens up a DP slot, but then they have the salary cap, but we don't really know how much money they have available in the sal- I mean, like, there's so many mechanisms at play. And if you got rid of, of even, I, I mean, if else could find a way to simplify all this, I think fan engagement would go up too because you could have those conversations of, well, we have six million dollars in cap space, or whatever it may be, and we can maybe we should go and sign this guy, or do these things, or whatever. I, I feel like in MLS, you don't have that whatsoever because you have so many different spending mechanisms, and I think that just deters fans from having those those fun conversations either online or with friends, and I think overall that's a detriment to the league.
2: And I agree. I agree, 100, I agree 100%. I yeah. think it, is, it, would be th- it would be a detrimental league. Yep. Let's get
1: to the questions, guys, because we just have a couple minutes left. Sorry, Jake. I mean, sorry, Armand, to interrupt you. No, no, we do no. have questions to go to. One on Twitter, why doesn't U.S. soccer hype the January camp with interviews and more material provided to provide some excitement for fans? All right, that's a great question, but then again, what are you expecting? What What do you want to hear from Players or coaches regarding. And I think
2: like hype videos and stuff like that. I can I can see their point to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, you I think can,
2: so. I see, yeah, I can see their point. Well, get people excited, man. Who is Brian Kayo? Who is Chris Capis? Who are these guys? Like, I, I know who they are, but like to so like fans, who are they? You know, get them get them to know each other. I feel like we don't know some of these players. Introduce them.
3: They don't awesome. play in MLS. They don't play in MLS. So what does US Soccer care who they are? They play in USL. It's a competing league.
2: Sorry. Yeah, i playing you. Oh, Ko does, but Cap is not anymore. DMR. Well, like, we don't know. That's yeah, true. Hey hey, yes. hey, 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 hey! Plug time, plug it. Well, you plug it, Armand. You you uh, brought it up. We uh we uh, we, we, we we sat down and uh, had an interview with the uh, Orange uh, County President of Soccer Operations and General Manager Oliver Vies. Yes. Uh, that'll be out next week, and we actually asked him about that. So uh, you, you may have to wait that. a little bit. But. But we have a lot of great insight for that as well.
1: Jake, uh, one more question, or a couple more questions here. Jake, this one's for you. Uh, what was the ceiling with Jurgen as U.S. Men's National
3: Team Manager? The ceiling? Just, like, like the ceiling. Not, not in a specific World Cup, just the ceiling. Yeah,
1: what was the ceiling?
3: I, I think you saw it in 2014 when they lost to Belgium uh, in extra time. I think that was the ceiling. Uh, we've all talked about this. Jurgen wasn't the best tactician, wasn't the best manager. I think Jurgen had a lot of great ideas. Uh, I think Jurgen, if if you're going to talk about since we talk about Brian McBride being named GM, I think Jurgen is better cut out to be somebody in that position or to be an Ernie Stewart, like a sporting director position, than he is as a manager. I think. You saw the peak of the mountain under Jurgen and I think it was getting out of the uh quote unquote group of death in Brazil twenty fourteen and it was taking Belgium to extra time. So to me that, that's the that's the that's the that's the mountain there. That was that was what that was the best under Jurgen. But Armand is it
1: for What one more question. Armand, do you have a football manager USL mod?
2: No, I don't. Sorry guys. Uh but Ford Madison does.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Hey, uh, McBride's public thoughts are all, more on the team. One of our listeners said, and when it comes to McBride, uh, people are, have mixed res- uh, feelings about it. Anyway, listeners at Onksam Soccer Pod, at Jake Watrova, at Armankify, at Stephen Jodder, and at our very special guest, at Joseph, uh Joe and Cleats actually, Mister Joseph Lowry. He has got excellent insight with. U.S. Men's National Team and MLS. So be sure to catch his work on The Athletic. Like Armand said, we have a special interview next week. We'll be back live 8 p.m. Central Time. Until next time.